Hey everyone, welcome back to High T Hoops. This is Brian Boucher at the Duke of Hoops. And today we have a very special episode. On this week's Tea Time, I chat with Todd Radom, a renowned designer in professional sports. Todd is responsible for many of the logos you see used in American sports, including the Washington Nationals and Los Angeles Angels of Major League Baseball, the Super Bowl, and even the Basketball Hall of Fame. We go behind the scenes in this episode to talk about his work for the Big Three Basketball League, where he collaborated with the Ice Cube to create the visual identities of each team and the league overall. This is a great episode for anyone interested in all of the marketing and creative work that goes into supporting professional leagues and the teams behind them, or if you're just a big fan of the Big Three. Before we get started, though, please rate and review the show. We really appreciate it. It really helps us get discovered. But now, let's get into it. Today, I'm so excited to introduce Todd Radom, uh, a renowned sports designer. Uh, he is designed for the Super Bowl, NBA All-Star Games, Basketball Hall of Fame, Washington Nationals, uh, Los Angeles Angels. I grew up in Southern California, so the Angels were my baseball team, uh, and the Big Three. So, Todd, thank you so much for coming on. I'm really excited to chat with you. Brian, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's great to be with you. So would love for you to kind of, you know, briefly introduce yourself professionally. I know it's a long list, but would love to give the audience a little sense of your background. Yeah, thank you. So, uh, you know, like you said, I am a sports design veteran. I always say I was designing for sports before there really was such a thing. Um, of course, now uh, the, the, the thing has expanded. But my background uh, started out in book publishing. I graduated uh, the School of Visual Arts in New York City. I should say I come from a family of artists. I'm a fourth generation working artist. Additionally, I have a brother who is a photographer. I've got a cousin who is a jazz drummer. His parents uh, consisted of an actress and a draftsman slash fine artist. So it's deep, deep in the DNA here. So uh, I graduated School of Visual Arts. I uh, worked in book publishing. I designed over a thousand book covers. And book covers are great wow. pieces of design. Yes. They incorporate a little bit of everything. There is... Uh, you know, they're like posters, right? You've got typography, illustration or photography, you're conveying a commercial message. But all the time, dating back to when I was a kid with this DNA coursing through me, uh, I've always been fascinated by the visual culture of sports, particularly professional sports, uh, and even more focused, uh, you know, baseball was really my, my first thing. So I've been looking at this for, you know, all of these years, and uh, I've had some wonderful opportunities over the last 30 years to uh, really get my uh, roll my sleeves up and impart my uh, my look into a number of pretty exciting projects. And, you know, for a lot of my other friends that are sports designers, it's one of the hardest design challenges to take on because, you know, if you're launching a new logo or a new brand for, or for, you know, a major brand, commercial brand, you know, if people don't like it, oh, okay, that's not great. Move on. Maybe still purchase it. But if someone, which it seems like they often do, hates a new their team's logo changes or their team's brand changes, they just rail on it and they can really go after the designers and the team. So you know what 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 you know what do you see as some of the challenges or some of the you know things that come up when you actually have to take on these uh, sports design challenges? Well, listen, Brian, we're creative people, and as creative people, we have to have thick skins, right? Yes. Because you know. Uh, Having gone to uh, art school, you sit there and you sit in a circle and watch people rip your work to shreds <clears throat> in what's called a critique. And critique, of course, 
contains the, the basis for the word criticism. So we have to take criticism. And I've always been mindful of the fact that, uh, you know, there is no right or wrong. It is not black or white. There are various ways to solve a problem. And furthermore, as probably everybody listening to this can understand and appreciate, it's always a collaborative process, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, when it comes to sports, the level of scrutiny and the level of uh, interest and passion, I always say, are unlike any other consumer brand, right? You or I might have an affinity for a particular beverage or some consumer service or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but chances are you're not going to get the logo of that company tattooed on you. Sports fans do it all the time. And additionally, yes. you know, part of the challenge of designing for sports is the fact that the work has to get activated in so many different, across so many different platforms and at so many different sizes, right? Big, small, it has to move. Uh, it's got a lot different mediums, yeah, different jerseys, mediums. print ads, tickets all over the place. Listen, digital. Yeah, and, you know, 20 years ago, we used to joke that, you know, what's the worst case scenario for a, a logo for a team? What does it look like in black and white on the cover sheet of a fax, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, yep. now, you know, things get to be the size of an avatar and with high def technology, you know, literally you're looking at scoreboards with stuff moving 10 stories high. So, yeah, the challenges and the rewards are multiple. It's great to work on something that people really care about, whether they hate it or love it. Yeah, I think a lot of designers get used to the critiques, but being critiqued by an entire city or region is another level of thick skin that you have to develop. Um, it's true, but, you know, uh, when people do like it, uh, I guess, you know, the the uh, psychological rewards are that much greater, right? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And, you know, we discussed a little bit before we we started recording that you've worked primarily on your own for the last 30 years. Uh, you typically don't outsource any of the design work. You kind of do it, your, you know, from start to finish on your own. So what's kind of been your philosophy on kind of taking on all these projects by yourself? Yeah, I mean, you know, I have always been a self-starter uh, with, with regard to work for my entire life. And so when I was working on staff in book publishing all those years ago, I was doing freelance on the side. It wasn't forbidden. And uh, I was hustling. And I mean, I, I uh, uh, had a lot of work from a lot of different types of clients, other book publishers, uh, ad agencies. At that time, I was doing a lot of hand lettering, like literal hand lettering before computerization was a thing. So uh, I've always worked uh, well by myself. I've collaborated well with people. Uh, I have a good nose for business, I think. And uh, honestly, you know, I like the, um, you know, I mean, certainly the solitary experience is not for everybody and it's not great at all times, but that does ebb and flow. And, um, you know, it's worked for me for all these years. And most importantly, Brian, it's I think it's allowed me to, you know, have some control over my life and my schedule. And uh, I'm a very structured kind of guy. I'm not the kind of person I never have been who's going to just, you know, burn it out and go all night. Because I'm I'm a big believer in uh, the eight hours of sleep, eight yes. hours of work, eight hours of something else that has nothing to do with your work. So uh, so it's worked pretty well for me. And maybe I'm a bit of a control freak. I don't know about that. But <laughs> well, I, I love the structure. I, I just read Range by David Epstein. Have you uh, read that yet? I have not read it, but I know that. Uh, it takes. You know, it, one of the main points is that uh, to excel in any field you have to borrow from others. You need to create these analogies into other fields and other interests. And so designing for 12 hours a day, 
you may not get the experience and the things that actually can make you excel even better in design. So, you know, at Slope, when we were a startup for five years, it, you know, it's very tempting to just dive in those 10, 15 hours a day to get things done. But having the more balance, having the longevity, you've done this for 30 years on your own. Uh, it sounds like that's how you get there. Yeah. And I think, you know, to some extent, <clears throat> I kind of, you know, I'll get a job and I kind of feel like I am the pilot on a giant 7777. I get in the, in the cockpit, you know, I have this sense of confidence. Uh, I know that the plane, I know how to take take off and land. The middle part is sometimes a mystery and maybe you do a little detour. Hopefully you don't have to land, but uh, understanding the process and being comfortable with it is, uh, is, you know, part of having done this for so many years. And I would say also, you know, I'm a writer and a published author as well. I've got a second book coming out. Uh, oh, wow. So Winning Ugly was the first one. Winning Ugly was the first. And I'm, I'm, uh, I have written a book called Fabric of the Game with my buddy Chris Creamer from sportslogos.net. We're like a dynamic duo. Nice. We have, uh, we have written this book. It's about the uh, stories behind the looks and the names of every NHL team ever. So, oh. so I mean, this is 75,000 words, 40 of my illustrations. So half the words are mine. And I'm, you know, I put it together in InDesign. So you know, uh, I found that writing uh, is very different from uh, from designing, just in terms of how the thing starts, how the plane takes off, how it lands, and uh, you know, it's good to get out of our comfort zones and, and try a little something different sometimes. But I love writing. I always say that writing makes me a better designer and brand consultant, and you know, being a visual person makes me a better writer. So mm-hmm. multiple tools. All right. So you have a lot of different lessons and wisdom that you can impart. And I like to go into specific case studies to actually, you know, have lessons you can pull out of a specific experience and not general. So today we're going to cover the big three. I guess it was the branding project, design project. What would you call it? Anything visual. Just the the visual identity of the big three. In every conceivable sense. And we could talk about uh, specifics here, but uh, you know, in collaboration with my creative director, Ice Cube, uh, mm-hmm. in all seriousness, uh, amazing. I, no, I, not I, kidding, that's literally it. Anything visual, not having to do with broadcast or in arena, but I have designed the court, the visual identities for every one of the teams, including their uniforms, a suite of logos. Uh, I designed the trophy uh, signage within, you know, and have consulted on a bunch of stuff within it. Basically, anything visual uh, runs through me. So give us the quick pitch on Big Three for those who don't know about the league. So Big Three is a professional three-on-three basketball league. It's a summer league. Short uh, short season, 10 games, give or take, in the course of the, the whole thing. And it is a traveling league. It's kind of a, a carnival. It goes from city to city. They play in NBA arenas. Uh, past year, it was broadcast on CBS. First two years, broadcast on Fox. So it's got a big platform. Primarily, uh, players are ex-NBA players, big brand names, okay? Yep. Uh, guys with devoted cult followings almost. So, uh, you know, year one wasn't so uh, artistic, but Allen Iverson uh, was the big name attached to that. So mm-hmm. um, that's big three. It's got a lot of sizzle. The entertainment values are great. It really is. A, it's a professional league. It's not like the NBA and interestingly, Brian, you know, from a from a uh, presentation perspective, it's a half a court. So when you think about the optics of broadcasting uh, a game and being in an arena that features a half a court, um, the concentration of bodies moving around and 
you know, to focus on things is quite a different thing than it would be for a regulation five on five game. You said it's it's a real league. It is a real league. It's covered on ESPN. You see the highlights all over social media. You know, when Joe Johnson is hitting the four pointers to win the you know, to win the championship, when Will Bynum, he did he did a move that I think I still see on GIFs all the time. Um, I don't even know what you the sham god hesitation he broke, he broke ankles right there. I, I I couldn't like it was a it was a fake sham god, but he got it was unbelievable. Um, so this is a legit league. I'm, I'm you know, yeah, and it sounds yeah. like yeah, it seems like they uh, were going after originally kind of people a little bit past their prime. I think there was an twenty eight was the age restriction twenty seven when it first started. I mean, it has evolved where this season it was going to be brought down to twenty seven. Yeah, and you were going to see bring it down. Yeah, uh, younger guys, guys from Europe, um, you know, less household names. I think the quality of basketball really did improve over the first mm-hmm. couple of years, vastly improved from year one. It's kind of a rough league, uh, you know, No, no, none of these fouls for hand-checking, none of this. And, uh, you know, I've been lucky because when I do attend the games, I am right there courtside, and I hear oh, wow. coach Gary Payton. You know, oh, he's brutal. I, was, I literally sat about – two feet behind the bench uh, during a game in Chicago during year one. And I heard him light it up. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's got some personality and celebrity sizzle. You'll see people in the stands. Uh, LL Cool J is involved with the league. He's there pretty much every week. Um, you know, there are, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's pure entertainment. And so how did you get hooked up with the big three? How did this even start? I mean, you're very well known in the industry, but how did ice cube go? You know, I want to work with Todd. I got a call from one of his representatives or an email back in uh, late summer of 2017. And uh, honestly, Brian, I, you know, I should put that together, but I think they Googled, they dug around, yeah. found somebody who might be a good match. And uh, conversations started out like, you know, where do we start? And um, Cube, uh, his, you know, people that he deals with, they're entertainment people, which is very different from being sports people, Right. So you start a professional league, you know, they, they know all the ins and outs of what it's like to book an NBA arena and how to uh, split the proceeds and deal with the insurance and all that other stuff, contracts. But um, starting a league in such an unprecedentedly, you know, short amount of time with a very lean organization. So they called me. Uh, we had preliminary discussions. I get this email, which, you know, it says, this is Q. And he talked about, um, you know, how he envisioned this working. He and I had a very long conversation before diving in because I was a little, honestly, apprehensive. So not, not a, you know, we always worry about, and I'm sure you talk about this on the podcast on a regular basis. What is the process? What is the approval process? Yeah. How do you get the plane from, from the gate to the gate, right? And yeah. uh, I was, you know, like I said, a little leery of, uh, of, of a, of, a, of an un, a potentially undisciplined process. But the way it worked out, uh, it really is just he and I. He will show the work around to, uh, you know, stakeholders, certainly. But uh, he is my creative director, and I am, um, you know, I'm the, I'm the creative. I'm, I'm doing all the creative. So yeah. it worked out so, extremely well. So for these type of deals, you know, how do you actually close it? You know, I've been on, you know, we started out as a creative agency, so I've done so many RFPs and pitches. Yeah. What do you think actually, you know, secured the deal? It's like, all right, Todd's going to run the visual identity of Big Three. What kind of tips it over the edge? I think there were a couple of things. I think it's a really good question. I think, uh, so, you know, here we are, we are, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working on the league logo and the court itself. 
uh, let's say early November. They're going to have a press conference January, in middle of January to launch the thing, and the league is going to launch in late June. So you think about that runway, and uh, you know, at a certain point, decisions are made for us, and you either dive into, uh, you, you take hands and you dive into the pool together, or you, you know, you, you, or it's not going to happen. And I think comfort level, uh, you know, we, we ramped it up slowly with a couple of specific assets within this whole thing. And when it came time to discussing individual teams and how to go about those, we started moving and the wheels were moving and the, uh, the terms were comfortable. You know, um, I'm, I'm, we, we worked out, um, worked out the, 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 all of everything, the timing, the money, the process, how it all went down. And once things started to snowball, I mean, the thing was, was moving at supersonic speed. So it's oh don't don't hit me with that with the super right. uh, <laughs> uh, so it's like building the trust you know with some maybe smaller deliverables and then once you kind of establish that trust really you know getting the rest of those deliverables moving you got a little yeah. you got a tryout yeah that's it and and I think that you know again I, I think that that there came a point in the process pretty early on that it was comfortable we understood mutually how this is going to work the trust that you just referenced is. Uh, so important, so important with any project. But when you think about a project of uh, these proportions where you need to shoot once, shoot straight, get it absolutely right and hit the target. I mean, you know, this was, it was, it was absolutely necessary to, uh, you know, pick up speed and to stay together. And furthermore, there came a, a time in the process that, you know, Adidas got involved with the project ultimately. And they have sort of oversight, but the, the design, you know, still resides with me been a good partnership but uh, i had to get you know i had to get uniforms manufactured right <laughs> uh, i'm a sports guy i know where i can get uniforms we had a uh, like i said a press conference in new york city middle of january 2017 i think it was january 11 and uh, in anticipation of that uh, i was tasked with getting a series of jerseys stitched wow full service customized so that these guys are going to hold it up yeah. uh, at this thing and they had to look legit and, um, you know, and, and totally right. Uh, this took place pretty much over the Christmas, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. You know, you're not going to be able to outsource that overseas. It's got to be done domestically. I know somebody who could do it domestically. Killed the project. They wound up making the uniform. So part of it is tribal knowledge and, and knowing the space. And, uh, yeah. So what was kind of the vision to actually be unique and stand out as, as big three as a brand and then get people excited about uh, a new league? It's interesting. There's sort of uh, this, this, uh, you know, dual, <laughs> dual situation that we had on the one hand, we want to stand out and I am dealing with people who are entertainment people. Uh, and you know, if anybody, uh, given his 30 year track record of being in entertainment and that includes film and, and, you know, stuff like that understands, what things should look like and how to put on a presentation, it's Ice Cube. Let me step away for one second and just mention something that I think is really important in the process. When Cube was a young man, um, before NWA hit big, uh, he went to college for one year in Phoenix, Arizona, to study architectural drafting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I read that. <laughs> yeah, he under- not expect that. So he and I will talk about things. And we, we can discuss things like negative space and scale and how things roll out. And so anyway, I think the, you know, I think it's an important 
aspect of this whole. What's important when you say he was the creative director. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's kind of like flipping thing. It's true. So anyway, we, I think, determined pretty early on that we had this dual thing going on. We didn't want to look outlandish or cheesy or, you know, Johnny come lately. Mm-hmm. Um, so our look really revolves around color. To me, when it comes to sports, color is everything. We are all parts of tribes. You talk about your Seattle teams, right? And if you're an Mariners fan, yeah, that green, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you know Northwest green, right? Uh, I mean, and and navy blue. It's kind of a unique combination of them with that silver accent. Uh, in the case of the Big Three, I know you and I talked about it offline. There are no cities attached to these teams. They travel from place to place. So how do you impart a sense of partisanship given that situation? Color. And also, we are a league that is built for, again, this very small footprint mm-hmm. on a national scale with great production values. So the lighting and everything had to be conducive to what the colors of the uniforms look like and the visual identities. Now, the other part of that is we wanted to look, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty... Um, I don't know. A lot of my design is is rooted in tradition without being stodgy. Some of the best compliments I've ever got uh, have revolved around the fact that my work is, you know, again, something that's rooted in the past, but stepped up into the into the current and the future. So, you know, we look legit, but we've got some some different kinds of looks. But we look like uh, we look like a real professional outfit. It's classic. Yeah, because I imagine like you're like you said, you're being broadcast on TV, so you need the the TV audience, you need the fans to buy in, but then you also need the players. You know, if you're going to attract players to come in uh, who are largely from the NBA, if not all from the NBA, uh, you know, I saw they had open tryouts, so I've been I've been training up for that for maybe next year. But most are from the NBA, and they're used to a traditional NBA uh, brands and logos. You know, you see the Celtics logos, you see. You know, the Nuggets are a little bit newer, but you see kind of the the old school logos are important and make you feel like you're part of this established history. And if you go to a big three where it's kind of this kitschy, like you said, uh, you know, the come lately logos, I imagine that they might not buy in as much or be as excited to get into the league. Yeah, we wanted a polished professional look. And honestly, Brian, some of my best interactions, my favorite interactions are with players talking to them about how they, you know, how they like the colors, because I'll always check the equipment guy, for instance. You know, making sure that the uniforms fit well, that they're manufactured correctly, that they're not, you know, if we've got a patch, that there's nothing, you know, yeah. they deserve to be comfortable. They have to wear it. And they should like the looks. And, yeah. you know, some of those interactions about this are, are fun. And, you know, and I'll also say, you know, if you're an old school NBA guy, our commissioner is Clyde Drexler. And oh, yeah. He's a terrific gentleman. Great, great guy. Love my conversations with him. And he totally gets it. So, yeah, it's. All of the buy-in is important, and that goes without, you know, talking about retail sales or any of the stuff that we usually ascribe to, um, you know, licensing for sports and the selling of it. It starts with the fact that we get form and function, and then we extrapolate from there. Yeah. Well, I read that you you did something very clever, very smart, where you said AI, Allen Iverson, was the kind of premier player in that first league. And I read that you're like, hmm, how do we get this guy interested in? And you made it the Georgetown Colors. Uh, for his team, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just me. I mean, Cube talked about it too, and it was like, okay, you know, uh, the colors for that particular team are navy and orange with a little bit of uh, a warm gray, right? So you think about, and I I always think, just to really geek it down for the designers here, um, you know, I generally design in black and white, in grayscale, 100% black, 
uh, 65% black, 30% black. So then you start to move those along. So, you know, it was actually a great color combination. And gray is not always the most exciting of colors when it, you know, rises to the fore. But Mm -hmm. uh, this is a little bit of a different one. And there's a good story attached to it without the story, you know, without the, the tail wagging the dog, which sometimes happens. Well, I want to go into the jersey design, and I'm going to read off some of the or the the team names. Uh, three's Company, Three Headed Monster. This is a three on three league, so there's a lot of threes. Three's Company, Three Headed Monsters, Killer Threes, The Ball Hogs, Ghost Ballers, Power, Trilogy, Tri State, Triplets, Aliens, and this one is that all? Are they they're adding bivouac. more? Right, Bivouac is the is the last one. B I V O U A C. So we'll start with that one. And then I'm going to let you do bivouac is a, uh, is a, a, an army of ants. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I see that now. Sounds really French, but yes. And so I'm reading that list and you know, if I was trying to design these, that would terrify me. Cause what am I going to go off on the power? Oh. There's, there's, there's no city. It's called the power. Exactly. What do I do? So take us through kind of your initial brainstorming process or what did you, how did you actually piece these together? Yeah, I mean, some of them are uh, where, you know, you step up to the plate to mix sports metaphors and you see a big, fat, 90-mile-an-hour fastball coming right at you with no, you know, you step out. I mean, three-headed yeah. monsters, a three-headed monster is a three-headed monster. So mm-hmm. in that case, um, creating uh, creating an aura about it typographically. What does the typography look like? What do the colors look like? How do you carve that all out and make it into, you know, um, word marks and all that stuff. So that's kind of an easy thing. Uh, throw a couple around. Killer threes, kind of think Wu Tang Clan. Killer bees, right? Yeah. Killer killer threes are going to be, you know, they have to be black and gold. There's no question about it, right? For something like power, uh, I explored a series of things. I explored a clenched fist, lightning bolts, things like that. Eventually, it defaulted to a typographic solution with kind of a buzzsaw around it. And uh, the typography carries the day. You know, you can apply all kinds of color. I mean, in that case, it's sort of an electric palette. uh, So that's fine. Uh, Ball hogs. Well, it had to be uh, a hog with attitude hogging a ball, right? In the case of the ball hog, there's your Seattle Supersonics color palette, Mm -hmm. which is waiting to be taken. And and I will say also, all of these colors, because of the short one runway too, these are all battle-tested. These are all colors that, for the most part, but me going down to the factory and tweaking, you know, bivouac, for instance, is brown, gold, and a and a very hot red, right? So went down there, did all these tests, um, got the colors just right. What are some of the other names that are weird? I mean, you know, three. Well, so did you did you do these one by one, or so did you? Two. We were doing it in groups of two, basically okay. a week at a time, which okay. is astounding. Because in the world of sports design, you know, it's a year and a half process. Now, we're not, we don't have to answer to a lot of stakeholders in this case, but you do have to get it right. And it had to be bulletproof. So wait, two uh, a week? That was the process? Yeah, Brian, I mean, let me tell you, after that first volley of eight teams was done, uh, I remember just, you know, my wife and I going to uh, Miami Beach for about four days and sitting by a pool in South Beach and drinking cold drinks and, you know, watching my brains like get back. in. (laughs) It was, you know, some jobs are marathons, some are, this was, 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. Cause these, this is like six year long, you know, six month, one year, one and a half. I mean, that's a typical, I know I just did an interview with Brian Gundel on the Sunbelt conference rebranded. That was 18 months to get that through yeah. uh, for a college conference. So were you getting them approved every week or was it just like the initial concept concepts you'd send over? So imagine working on two at a time and, uh, you know, coming up with first round of sketches, really tight PDFs, um, maybe, you know, six or eight tight concepts and saying, okay, here's what we, here's what we're talking about. Let's take one from, you know, the usual navigating that revision process and chopping that down into three or four sets of revisions, simultaneously working on one other team and just going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You know, I, I can't tell you how many emails, texts, all that kind of stuff with Cube. So who are you sending them to? Are you sending them to Ice Cube directly? Yep. And was there any other stakeholders in the process or it's just you and him trying to get through it? It was me and him. And once we got it right, he kicked it down the line and shared it with people he trusts. You know, he's a collaborative guy. Think about everything he's done in his life professionally. Um, you know, it's all based on collaboration. And so, uh, you know, we, we there were a couple of times that he got, you know, okay, let's try this on top of this and see where it goes. And sometimes we pushed it out there as he has said, you know, we, we chop it up, uh, we, we mix it up and, you know, I will actually, uh, at the conclusion of this, I will share with you a link, which you're free to, uh, you know, free, free to share. But, um, basically I spent a day at his house in January before everything started, before all of that started, uh, in anticipation with a couple of people of this coming season, which hasn't happened. And, uh, I was going to give a talk on big three at Arizona state university law school for mm-hmm. a friend of mine who was a sports law professor there. So I had Cube do a little, just a little intro. So I'll share it with you. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. So you're, you're, you know, I talk, teams have to collaborate and they're using all these technology tools to try to manage that process and make sure people are doing the right thing at the right time. But you're just texting Ice Cube back and forth. Did you use any other technology tools in your process or anything to make it a little bit easier to manage the feedback and approvals? Not really. Uh, you know, at first, uh, you know, I, it didn't make sense just knowing, you know, the the because it was such a a, uh, a concentrated uh, set of stakeholders. If you wanted to look at it that way, it didn't make sense to you know. Normally, we might go through you know Google Sheets and blah blah blah. But this was, I hesitate to say seat of our pants because that sounds very sloppy and unprofessional. But uh, going with the gut and and having a good relationship with any client, uh, the level of trust of which you discussed earlier and we we hashed out. Uh, it was there. So let's just send emails back, forth, back, forth. There's also a three hour time difference. I'm on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast. So, you know, we worked into a rhythm here and we had it down to a science. Yeah. And so what were some of the goals, you know, when you were designing these, what did you see as a success or what would, you know, if you, when you launch these, what would you consider a success for it? So I think with any sports brand, just take this big picture holistically, right? Um, you're designing something for everybody and you are anticipating or trying to anticipate things that you cannot anticipate. So at the bare bones minimum, you want to have, as we discussed earlier, players look their best. You want to roll out an appearance that is legitimate and professional and polished and reflects the, you know, values. If you want to look at it that way that you're trying to convey. So then you take it down furthermore. You think about, we talked about form and function. What's the functionality? functionality is if I am in, um, you know, um, American Airlines Center in Dallas 
and there are 19,000 people in that arena with a half court, I want somebody sitting in the very top row to be able to look down there and differentiate between these two teams to who the players are, even if they can't read the names on the back of the uniforms. Okay. So we get down to that. How does it look on broadcast? Um, We don't have a robust um, licensing program in the big three, but we might someday, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Fingers crossed on all fronts. But of course, I've dealt with this from everything, as you referenced, from Super Bowl to, you know, uh, this, you know, more professional teams than I could possibly count on my fingers and toes. But what do you do? You want uh, a series of visual assets that uh, somebody who is producing polo shirts can embroider on, but you want something that can rotate and extrude and, you know, get up on a giant scoreboard, like we said before. Tattoo on yourself. You want something that somebody can carve into a belt buckle with no color whatsoever. So it's got to be bulletproof, it's got to be extendable, and it's got to be able to be activated in a stunning you know, array of usages and have them unite with one voice. Yeah. And are there metrics that you tie to that? Or is it just, yep, this is going to work in all those places? Uh, are there any actual quantitative metrics you tie to any of these projects? or? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think it's, you know, I think that you learn from mistakes uh, and you think about best practices. I think as designers, um, you know, there are certain things that you do and you don't do. You think about proportions and scale, the likes of which I talked about earlier. Um, And certainly having this knowledge of who does ultimately use this and who might use it. But I mean, I'll give you sort of a out of, you know, out of left field example, again, to switch sports metaphors. One is, you know, you talked about your angels having grown up where you did. Uh, I designed the Anaheim, now Los Angeles Angels identity back in 2001 for the 2002 season. Think about what the world looked like in 2001 in every conceivable sense. But think about how we interact with our mobile devices. Uh, This is years before iPhones, before Twitter, before social media. You know, the needs then were far different, but the thing holds up, whatever the aesthetic merits are because it's sort of bulletproof. Um, the colors work, the scale of elements work, you can add on to it, you can take away from it. Knowing all of that and having 30 years of experience with this certainly helps. You don't have to have 30 years of experience, but you can be an inquisitive, creative person uh, and study up on these things and get that knowledge. When did you, did you design the Anaheim Angels logo? No, I did not. Okay. That was done by uh, Dan Simon who had a slew of minor league identities. And uh, at the time, I believe he was working for the Los Angeles Dodgers and did that as a uh, as a freelance project. So my first wallet when I was six years old, Anaheim Angels logo. And it was Velcro. great this time, right? I mean, like, you know, yep. six golden colors, whatever it was with, you know, yep. metallics and a lot of details. And I will say- I think I still have it in my closet. It's, yeah. you know, that's the thing. Like, I bet I have a lot of your logos in my apartment right now, which is pretty- which well, is You, you just put on something about, you know, sports identity. And one of the great things I always say is about, you know, we are fans of a team. Uh, we are accepted into this community. And this community does not ask how old we are, uh, you know, what our, you know, gender or race or, or economic situation is. We're part of this- tribe of people and we are often connected by generations so you talking about being an angels fan with that you know that that souvenir that some that piece of whatever that that kind of remained with you you've got something in common with you know somebody who probably watched the angels play when they first took the field in 1961 yeah 
Absolutely. Uh, and going back to the big three, uh, you're ripping through the designs for the teams. I can't believe it was two a week. Unbelievable. So what was the reception like when you actually got to launch or as you're kind of nearing to the end of that project? It was great because, you know, as is the case with, with pretty much any prominent piece of design, it exists in a vacuum, in a little, you know, in our little imaginary space until it is accepted into the world. And um, I remember I went to uh, the league, had a media day at Chelsea Piers in Manhattan a um, couple of days before the launch. The first games were in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center, sold out. And uh, so to see players with uniforms on their bodies and to see media from, you know, all these mainstream media out- outlets, and I mean that in a positive way, the ESPNs and, you know, APs and the SIs of the world, CBS and all that, um, all of a sudden it's like, wow. And then when the league launches, I am sitting courtside. I am right under the basket at Barclays Center. There are 15,000 people there. I'm sitting catty corner to Ice Cube. I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, we did it, right? I mean, we made it. And I, at one point I caught his eye and I kind of like put my hands in the air and I looked straight up and like, as if to say, I can't believe we finally did it. And he did the same thing back at me. And that's when it was. And is it, so how does it feel seeing that, uh, you know, or sitting courtside, your visual identity is on the court. Unfortunately for me, I'm one of those people that I hit a huge goal and I, feel a little empty. I'm like, all right, well, what's the next thing? And I constantly move on. So I'm doing, yeah. trying to do a better job of actually, you know, appreciating the work you put into projects. But what does that feel like seeing that on the court? It's important with everything in life, you know, it's sometimes difficult to live in the moment and to, you know, uh, reap our successes. We are all humble creatives, I'm sure, listening to this. And I would say that uh, our, our successes are built upon a mountain of failures. So I appreciated it. Now, at the same time, I will tell you that I sit there and I look at, you know, we had some uh, what we call a dazzle fabric jerseys a couple of years ago, silver jerseys for one team. And I'm looking at sweat stains, Brian. And I'm saying, oh, <laughs> You're still critiquing the work. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally, I am on the court and there's a player about to, you know, inbound and he is eight inches from my face. And I'm like, geez, we can't have these next year because we got what? <laughs> Well, what can I do to tweak this so the sweat stains aren't so bad? I mean, the fact is nobody's probably going to see that on broadcast. Nobody's going to see it in the stands. But you always, you know, we are our worst uh, critics and enemies at times. So you do, you know, we never sit on our laurels. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we we strive to uh, improve our work without it making us crazy. Yes. Well, that's uh, living in the moment and appreciating something that you accomplish in the moment uh, is a very powerful message. And I know a lot of creatives struggle with that. Yeah. You know, even after all these years, I, I do. And, you know, it is it is a grind. That's a word that's supplied by a lot of us for, you know, several different reasons. But, um, yeah, you know, exhale a little bit, take stock of what you've accomplished and, you know, um, utilize that energy and push it to the next thing for sure. What are some of the things that could be from big three or anything in your career? Uh, kind of what is your parting shot uh, that you'd like to pass on to the listeners? Great question. A couple of things. I will tell you right now, I am chairman of the board of the alumni society, the school of visual arts, right? My alma mater. And uh, there are 40,000 alumni around the world, including a bunch of design students who have just graduated 
into the most challenging atmosphere I could possibly imagine. So I was asked to give a couple of words to them, um, just, you know, via social media, whatever. And so here's what I would impart, because I think it ties into that. Being a creative person is never easy for many of the reasons that we just discussed. Being a creative person now is even more difficult. Stay the course. Know if it's in you that it's got to come out. Uh, persevere. It's a terrible word to use in a certain sense because not everybody is, you know, has the same temperament. And, you know, we're human beings here, right? We're not machines. So uh, stick it out. Uh, take joy in your work. Um, you know, uh, again, that balance in life. Eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. If it's possible, partake in it. Be an interesting person. Be inquisitive. Read books. Read books. <laughs> Please. Right. Yeah, right. You know, exercise your creativity in a different way. But uh, know that uh, at heart, deep, deep within, I think we, a lot of us, probably all of us, share the same attributes. Well, thank you so much, Todd. I appreciate you coming on and your words of wisdom. Uh, and hopefully the big three can come back soon, safely. And uh, we get those guys back on the court with the uh, visual identity you've created. Hey, listen, Brian, it's been a pleasure. Some great questions, a terrific conversation. Hopefully the world gets better. Hopefully we all stay healthy. Hopefully sports comes back. A lot of perspective at this moment, but uh, let's, all, let's all be well and be together soon, really together. And uh, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Okay, Brian, thank you.